Okay, open your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And this morning I will be reading from verse 24 to the end of the chapter. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints." to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. In writing to Colossians, to the church in uh, Colossae, Paul was writing to a church in danger, church in danger, church in danger of false teaching. The Colossians, or at least some of them, a good part of them, had embarked on a quest for a second tier of spirituality for elite Christians. And by second tier, I mean something apart from Christ, something they thought was above and beyond uh, Christ. Uh, for them, this second tier was uh, special knowledge or special secrets or a special code of conduct or special techniques or even um, special mediators, special spirit guides other than uh, Christ. And so their idea was that the good news of Christ by which they were saved was uh, the first tier to becoming a Christian. But for the spiritually serious For the vanguard, and that's how they saw themselves, there was something beyond Christ. And uh, Paul's task in this letter is to rebuke them for their false teaching, but also, in a more positive way, to convince them that Christ is all. Christ is everything. Uh, That there is no second tier. There's only one tier. And you grow in Christ, not by advancing to something else, but by growing more in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. By abandoning Christ, the um, Colossians were not advancing to something better, but they were actually uh, regressing. And so Paul's task in this letter is to convince the Colossian Christians that Christ is all. He's done this in various ways already, even though he has yet to um, open uh, really his topic, which is to rebuke them. He does that right at the beginning of um, chapter 2. But in various ways already in this letter, Paul has uh, spoken to them about Christ being all, Christ being all uh, uh, sufficient. We've arrived at the portion of the letter in which Paul usually at this point in his letters writes about his own missionary labors, gives kind of an update about that, and also his involvement with the readers that uh, he's sending the letter to. And so he uh, does so here. He talks about his ministry. That's what uh, this passage is uh, about. But he does so in a way that asserts the centrality of Christ in Paul's ministry and even draws out the riches that are found in Christ for Paul's ministry. And those riches are inexhaustible. As he says in chapter 2 and verse 3, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom 
and knowledge. So not just some of the treasures of wisdom, not just the first tier of treasures and wisdom, but all of the treasures of wisdom are hidden in Christ. They're hidden. In other words, maybe they're not apparent. They take a little um, drawing out. They're not um, on the surface. In fact, the treasures of wisdom that are hidden in Christ are actually easily overlooked, uh, easily neglected, and even despised. And so Paul uh, draws out some of the riches of the wisdom that are found in the person of Christ, and he does it just in describing his uh, ministry at this point in uh, in the letter. So I hope you have a sense uh, this morning, like opening a treasure chest and rummaging inside and pulling pulling something out, and it's the treasure of Christ and the person of uh, Christ, and carefully drawing out for view some of uh, the treasures. So uh, this morning I want to give you three ways in which Christ is central to Paul's ministry. Three ways in which Christ was central to Paul's ministry. Not the first tier of Paul's ministry for newcomers, and then they could graduate to something else but central throughout uh, Paul's uh, ministry. And the first is an important one. The first is an important one. Christ makes the suffering of Paul's ministry life-giving. Paul considered the sufferings that he encountered in his ministry life-giving. Life-giving, and that was only because of Christ, only because of the person of Christ. To graduate away from that is to make your sufferings pointless. So uh, Christ is what makes the sufferings of Paul's ministry life-giving, and that's in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's Afflictions. There's a lot to ponder there, and we'll get into it. But it starts out with what is a very characteristic theme uh, in Paul, which is rejoicing in sufferings. That's what he says he's doing. I'm re- I'm, he's giving an update on his, his ministry, and he says, I'm rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake. Even at this time, Paul was suffering. He was under house arrest in Rome for the sake of Gentile churches. That's why he was there. He had uh, infuriated some of the Jews um, because actually because his ministry was to um, Gentiles. They were willing to tolerate a lot, a lot of different viewpoints among uh, fellow Jews, but not that one of uh, reaching out to um, Gentiles. And so he had infuriated uh, them. And because of that, he had spent years moldering in prison in uh, different places. Now he was uh, in Rome and uh, under house arrest and suffering and yet joyful, rejoicing. And uh, the reason why was because of uh, Christ. Paul rejoiced in his sufferings because he was convinced that his sufferings were doing two things at the same time, two things at the same uh, time, and these are related. First, they were filling up what is lacking in the tribulations of Christ. And we're going to puzzle over that one because that, that one sounds odd. Um, we're going to puzzle over, over that. Um, his sufferings were filling up what's lacking in the tribulations of Christ. And second, he was convinced that his sufferings were benefiting the church, were benefiting the church, including the Colossians that he had never met uh, before. And so he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, uh, convinced that they were uh, benefiting uh, the church. So how can this be? Sufferings are filling up what's lacking in the tribulations of Christ as they benefit the church, even people that Paul 
uh, hadn't met, and he's convinced that his sufferings that he was experiencing now are doing that uh, very thing. Well, there's a unity, a living union between Christ and his people that Paul learned about right away when he became a Christian. And when I say right away, I mean he learned about this even on the road to Damascus. He learned about this before he fell off of his horse, uh, so to speak, on the road to Damascus. Because when the risen Christ confronted him on the road to Damascus as Paul was persecuting Christians, he was actively persecuting Christians, what did Christ say to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? He didn't, you know, Christ is safely in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father beyond uh, being persecuted uh, by anyone. But as Paul persecutes Christians, Christ appears to him and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say to him, Saul, why are you persecuting my friends? That might have been enough. That might have been enough to get Saul's attention. Or why are you persecuting my followers? Saul, why are you persecuting my disciples? No, he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When you drag these Christians off uh, to prison, uh, when you when you take them from their families, when you uh, exercise this zeal in persecuting uh, Christians, you're not persecuting them, you're persecuting me. And so the sufferings of Christians are the sufferings of Christ. The sufferings of Christians are the sufferings of one another through Christ, because we're all united to Christ like a vine is uh, to uh, branches. And so I think that unity, that living union, stands behind both of the things that Paul's saying. He's rejoicing because he's convinced his sufferings are filling up what's lacking in the tribulations of Christ, and also that his sufferings in some way are benefiting the church and even Christians that he has not yet uh, met. It's because of that living uh, union. Well, how were Paul's sufferings filling up, supplementing, making up for the lack in the tribulation of in the tribulations of Christ? And uh, I've read various commentators on this because I, I wanted to know the answer as I've studied uh, for this. And uh, the commentators will write their best uh, idea of what Paul is saying when he talks about this, about his sufferings making up for the lack in uh, Christ's uh, own tribulation. Uh, and then they'll come to the end and they'll say, well, I've done my best, but maybe I haven't quite grasped exactly all that Paul is uh, talking about. And so I'm going to say the same thing. I'm going to give my best shot at what uh, Paul is understanding, what Paul is speaking of, and then come to the end and say, I'm, I'm not sure I grasp um, all of it. But as um, all of these commentators point out, and I will um, as well, what Paul is not saying is that there's any lack in Christ's sufferings as an atoning sacrifice. That's not what he's saying when he's saying my sufferings make up for what lacks in Christ's uh, sacrifice. Christ's death and resurrection, as Paul has just explained in this very chapter, reconciled the sin-cursed world to God and even reconcile, have reconciled the Colossian believers to God. And in doing that, Christ didn't need any help from Paul or anyone else to make up for any sort of lack Christ's atoning death on the cross is complete. It's perfect. There's nothing lacking uh, to it. And so uh, when Christ died on the cross, he died with a final shout of triumph, saying with a loud voice, it is finished. In other words, the sacrifice that he was paying is finished. And for that reason, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there's nothing lacking in Christ's sufferings. Um, in that sense, in what sense then is there a lack? Because Paul, Paul does says, say that in my flesh, by my sufferings, 
I do my share on behalf of uh, his body, filling up what is lacking in Christ's uh, afflictions. Well, I talked about already how his Christ's sufferings on the cross satisfied God's wrath. Every sin was paid for uh, that uh, Christ was bearing on uh, the cross for his people in such a way that satisfied God's wrath. However, Christ's death did not satisfy the wrath of his enemies. And, and maybe that's a little bit of a clue into what it means about what is lacking in um, Christ's um, afflictions. After Christ was killed, his enemies were not sated. They were not done persecuting uh, 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 Christ. They wanted to persecute his followers as well as Christ himself predicted. He said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so um, there's something lacking in the sense that his um, sufferings satisfied God, the wrath of God, but didn't satisfy the wrath of his enemies. And Paul himself is making up for that lack by suffering um, himself. In Revelation chapter 12, there's kind of a a uh, very vivid vision of, um, of of revelation of of Satan and the forces of evil and the dragon is poised to uh, devour the child as soon as he's born, the Christ child, as soon as he is born. And there's a woman in labor and uh, the dragon is poised to devour the child as soon as he's born. But the child instead is a, a conqueror who's caught up to the throne of God away from uh, the dragon. And the dragon, enraged, goes off to make war with those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And so his wrath is not assuaged uh, by what he was able to inflict upon uh, Christ at uh, the cross in the hour of darkness. But there's more, and Paul um, makes up for that uh, lack. Perhaps in a related sense, in a related sense to that, the Old Testament, as, as Peter says, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow, um, meaning that Christ would first suffer before he returned as a glorious king and set up a, a kingdom in which the, the um, curse has been uh, repealed. And that kingdom is brought in with a certain amount of birth pangs, which go uh, before it uh, in time. And there does seem to be a fixed quality, quantity, I should say, to those uh, birth birth uh, pangs. Christ's sufferings is perhaps the trigger, is the start of it, but it's not the completion of it. And so Paul, in his suffering and the sufferings of the church, um, are an extension of Christ's sufferings that brings in um, the kingdom. And there does seem to be a fixed quantity. In fact, again, in Revelation, there's martyrs, souls of martyrs that are pictured um, in heaven, and they're saying, how long? How long until the time uh, comes when our deaths are going to be avenged and when you're going to bring in um, your kingdom? And the answer is given to them uh, a little longer because there's a quantity of suffering that needs to be completed and it hasn't been completed yet. And so God has set a limit to these sufferings. Christ's tribulations uh, that he suffered on the cross started it. The church's sufferings finish it. So in that sense, Paul makes up for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. I think perhaps uh, that is uh, um, in view. It's interesting, Paul, when he speaks about what is lacking, um, refers to Christ's afflictions, or actually the word is tribulations. And that's the same word that's given always for those birth pangs that bring in uh, the kingdom. It's uh, tribulation. When Paul refers to the atoning the atonement of Christ, it's always his sufferings, but he doesn't use that word for what, what there's a lack in here. He uses instead the word of Christ's 
um, tribulation. So um, that's, um, I think, probably something toward what Paul has in mind when he talks about his, and he rejoices that his sufferings are filling up what is lacking in the tribulation of Christ. But it's linked to this. It's linked to this. That he's also rejoicing that his sufferings benefit the church, including the Colossians that he has never met. And they're doing that at the same time as they're filling up what's lacking in the tribulations of Christ. I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, you Colossians, who I haven't met yet, because uh, he didn't found this church. His uh, associate Epaphras founded uh, this church. I rejoice in my sufferings, which are for your sake. They're for your benefit. And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, Christ's body, which is the church. That's my connection, he says to you, is that you're part of Christ's body, which is um, the church. How did Paul's sufferings benefit the Colossian church? How did his sufferings benefit the Colossian uh, church? And you might say, well, if you think about it, his sufferings didn't uh, directly benefit them, but maybe indirectly. In other words, Paul himself didn't bring the gospel to Colossae, but um, his uh, co-worker Epaphras did. Paul had to suffer in order to bring the gospel to Ephesus, and then uh, he gave it to Epaphras, Epaphras who gave it to um, uh, the Colossians. I don't think that's what Paul has in mind, because he's talking about what his sufferings are doing right now, not in the past. He uses the present tense. I rejoice in my suffering, because I'm rejoicing now in my sufferings for uh, your sake. So my sufferings, he's saying right now, are benefiting you right now. And I I don't think Paul says how his sufferings benefit uh, the Colossians because he doesn't know. They're both united to Christ though. And that means that Paul's sufferings, not a one of them is wasted. They all result in resurrection life for others, even in a way that Paul can't explain. And that's the benefit, that's a blessing, that's a riches of uh, Christ. Paul expands on that idea. Um, it's an idea that's hidden from view. It's hidden in Christ. It's not, it's not obvious. It's not something obvious that he's talking about. It's something deep and profound, but also very real. He expands on this idea in one other of his letters. And I'm thinking of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, let me show you a couple of places in 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about the same things, about his sufferings benefiting others through Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 5 to 7. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance... So also our, our comfort is abundant through Christ. So first is the connection of his sufferings to Christ's sufferings. In Colossians, our passage, he was talking about it as filling up something that's lacking in Christ's uh, tribulations. Here he speaks of it in another maybe liquid way of the sufferings of Christ overflowing into his. Just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same suffering with which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. And so in Christ, because the, Paul's sufferings participate somehow in the sufferings of Christ. They also bring benefit somehow to the sufferings of other believers, even in ways that Paul can't uh, explain. 
and yet uh, he he knows that it's uh, true. He returns to the same idea in Second Corinthians chapter four, verse eight, the sufferings of his ministry, and how they're it's on behalf of others. Second Corinthians chapter four and uh, verse eight: We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed; perplexed, but not despairing; persecuted, but not forsaken; struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. I love that statement at the end because it makes he brings it all together. Death is working in us, and we're rejoicing because it brings life for you. Only in Christ, only in Christ, is suffering transmuted through his resurrection life into its opposite, into is the things that were death in one person transmuted into ways that work life to others. Paul doesn't know how it's going to do that, but he's convinced that uh, it will. So in Christ, to the degree that you suffer, to the same degree, you're working life to those whom you love even in ways that you don't uh, fully understand, so that all the things that work death to you, including your worst suffering, works life through others, through the death and resurrection of Christ, and none is wasted. No suffering is uh, wasted. So how about you? Are you looking for a second tier when it comes to dealing with your suffering? A technique for coping with uh, your suffering, uh, a Band-Aid to put on your suffering so that somehow you might have a joy so that when tragedy strikes, you can find some sort of silver lining or something uh, that will put some sort of joy uh, on it. Well, you can search the world over. You'll never find what can convert all of your suffering into its opposite for others through the death and resurrection of Christ. And so all you need... All you need is found in Christ. So this is a a treasure that's hidden in Christ and it relates to suffering. It's so hidden, it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain and yet it's, it's very real. And this is one of the blessings that we have that's found in Christ. So three ways in which Christ uh, is central to Paul's ministry. The first is this. Christ makes the sufferings of Paul's ministry life-giving. That's why when Paul suffered, He rejoiced because he was convinced of this, that Christ, the resurrected Christ, makes the sufferings of Paul's ministry life-giving. The second is this. Christ makes Paul's ministry the answer to a profound riddle. Christ makes Paul's ministry the answer to a profound riddle. And that's in verses uh, 25 through 27. And let me read those uh, verses. Of this church, I was also made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, let me let me try to un- unpack uh, this. Paul says, of this church, I myself was made 
a minister. And he says it in an emphatic way. He's uh, speaking of um, himself and how he's been made a minister of, to the church according to this stewardship that God has uh, bestowed upon him. Paul considered himself a uniquely pivotal figure in God's unfolding plan. And he was as the apostle to the Gentiles. And so uh, he says, I've been made a, a minister according to God's stewardship. In other words, according to this unfolding of his plan for your benefit, that I may uh, fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. And that's the way my translation uh, puts this, that I might carry out uh, the preaching of the word of God. What it literally says, and there's a little footnote uh, to it, is so that I might make full the word of God so that I might make full the word of God. And what Paul's referring to here is not just him preaching the word of God, promulgating the word of God, proclaiming the word of God, but what he's saying is in his ministry to the church, he's not just uh, uh, preaching the word of God, but he is enacting what yields up the final secret of scripture. And so that's what he says uh, here. According to my, my ministry, uh, that I might make full the word of God, bring out the full meaning that's uh, uh, locked away in uh, uh, scriptures. What is Paul referring to? Well, he's referring to what fits with the Old Testament scripture, according to the pattern of that scripture, but is not directly promised in the Old Testament. But when it's seen, it makes sense and causes even the whole scriptures to come uh, uh, together. Uh, and that is that the reconciliation of all creation is contingent upon the nation of Israel turning to the Lord, turning to the Lord. And that's that's clear throughout the Old Testament. It's kind of the sweep of uh, the Old Testament. But it's also clear in the Old Testament that the nation of Israel is making opposite progress. <laughs> the nation of Israel is not headed in that direction. It's going exactly in the reverse uh, direction. And so what Paul is talking about, and this, I think the way Paul saw his uh, ministry is that as the Old Testament predicted, Israel, because of their disobedience, because of their unbelief, would become captive to Gentile powers. And that's foretold in uh, scripture. But what's not foretold, but, but just hinted at in scripture, in fact, it's carrying it even one step further, is that the Gentile captors would accept the Jewish Messiah first. Before the Jewish people as a whole would do it before their national government would accept uh, the Messiah and that the Gentile captors not just be used as instruments of punishment um, or to get their attention by by um, being harsh towards them, but would actually provoke them to jealousy by uh, accepting Christ and the blessings of Christ first. And so what Paul saw himself doing as the uh, minister to the Gentiles, as the apostle to the Gentiles, this dispensation uh, that God had given to him this, um, uh, what word does he use uh, for it? This uh, stewardship that uh, God had uh, bestowed uh, upon him is enacting the final linchpin that fits the pattern of, holes of all of scripture and causes it to come together. The final way in which the first are last and the last are first and the wisdom of the wise uh, is made to be foolish and the foolish are made uh, to be wise. The ultimate and final mystery yielded up by um, the scriptures. So Paul uh, refers to it as his ministry, um, as fulfilling the word of God itself, 
uh, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the richest of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, meaning Christ in you Gentiles, Christ in you Gentiles, the hope of glory. Christ, union with Christ, is what enables the furthest away, the Gentiles, to be near, to share in the Jewish uh, heritage, precisely by being in Christ and by Christ being in them. And so the mystery is Christ in you. Christ is what brings you near, you Gentiles near, uh, ahead of time, so to speak. Christ in you, living in you, the hope of uh, glory. Well, we're sort of used to the idea of Gentile churches. We're sort of used to worshiping the Lord and looking around and there's not too many Jewish people. Maybe there's some, but not uh, too many. We're sort of used to that. The church has gotten used to that for the past 2,000 years, so it seems like kind of no big deal to us. Paul was amazed by it. Paul was amazed by it as it started happening in uh, his time, and he never really got over uh, that um, he, he refers to it in Ephesians chapter two. I won't read them this morning. Um, Ephesians chapter two, 11 through 19 and Ephesians chapter three, verses four through 10 about Gentiles being brought near in Christ in, through the body of Christ. And those who were strangers to the covenant, strangers to the promise, uh, and aliens being made the nearest through Christ. And, uh, that being, uh, uh, something that proclaims God's wisdom throughout the world, to the entire cosmos and to the to the angels uh, in the heavenly places as well. So this is a second way in which Christ is all, in which you can't graduate beyond Christ, and that is this, and it's a little bit complicated. It's that Christ makes Paul's ministry the answer to a profound riddle, the revelation of a profound uh, mystery. And it's Christ that gives this inner logic to Paul's ministry, and Paul's ministry is our project too. We're still part of the advance of the Gentile church. It's all made possible because of Christ. It's all made possible because of Christ. There's no getting uh, beyond uh, him. So Paul's take, opening the treasure chest of Christ and digging deep and pulling out some of the treasures of uh, Christ. And uh, some of these that he's mentioned um, are that he pulls out and shows are sort of vast in scope and overarching and a little bit elusive uh, commentators see see the exact same that Paul things that Paul's talking about a little bit differently and and struggle to grasp exactly what uh, Paul is uh, saying. Perhaps Paul's doing that and starting there as he as he takes out these mysteries of Christ and how they relate and treasures of Christ and how they relate to his ministry because the Colossians were seeking some sort of special knowledge about the universe some special key to the universe that is outside of Christ and Paul's saying no Christ is the most profound secret it's the most profound uh, secret that the scriptures or the universe or God himself could ever yield everything has been created of him and through him and for him and everything um, that happens uh, to fulfill scripture speaks of his character and focuses on him, hinges on him. This is just one of the riches that is found in uh, Christ. Uh, perhaps it's because, just because he's been discussing cosmic reconciliation on a grand uh, scale, and that's earlier in um, chapter one, that he's, uh, as he opens the treasure box of Christ to pull it, pull it out, he starts with things that are sort of grandiose. 
and kind of a, a vast uh, sweep and embrace all human history and are sort of cerebral to try to think about something to be pondered at, something to be wondered at. But the final treasure of Christ, as he points out, the third way in which Christ is central to Paul's ministry is the most practical. So he's going from the more cerebral, I think, to the more practical, from the more overarching about Christ and uh, all the ways in which he's central to everything to Paul's doing to what is right under his nose and, w- and what he's doing. And so the third way is, is the most practical, and that is that Christ is the content, the goal, and the power of Paul's ministry. And that's in verse 28 and 29. And uh, because these verses are so close to what we're doing as a church daily, day in and day out, and especially what we're doing uh, in the focus this fall on discipleship, what I'd like to do is just kind of trace out this third point uh, this time and then come back to it and, and do a better job of um, going through this more in um, uh, detail. But let me, let me read the verses, uh, verse 28 and 29. It's, it's the final way Paul mentions in which Christ is central to his ministry and it's the most practical. It's the most daily. Verse 28, we proclaim him, Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works in me. Christ is the content, he's the goal, and he's the power of Paul's ministry. First of all, he's the content of Paul's ministry, and he simply says this in verse 28. It's very simple. We proclaim him. That's the main task of Paul's ministry is the task of proclamation. And as he proclaims the word of God, he proclaims Christ. That's it. His whole, his whole ministry, everything that he's, he's meant to proclaim as a herald uh, of God is summed up in the person of Christ. We proclaim him, the person and work of Christ. In another, in another place, Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. It doesn't mean he never spoke to them about anything except for Christ. He never talked to them about their problems or anything they were struggling with. It means that Christ and him crucified was the reference point for everything. If it didn't relate to Christ and him crucified, he didn't talk about it. I determined to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. So we proclaim him and nothing else. He's the content of Paul's ministry and especially the content of his uh, preaching. He's the goal of Paul's ministry, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. The goal of proclaiming Christ is to present every man complete in Christ. And uh, no person is beyond his grasp. In fact, he mentions the word every man three times, admonishing every person, teaching every person, so that we may present every person complete in Christ. So this is a a ministry that was given to all uh, who who would come. It's uh, to every person, no person beyond uh, the reach of uh, Christ. But the purpose of this was to make every person to be, the word could be mature, that would be a good way to, to uh, describe this uh, word. But I like complete, especially for this letter. There's nothing beyond this, beyond presenting them everything they need, complete, mature, in Christ. In other words, the character that Paul was seeking to produce in Christians is all found in Christ. And it's all summed up and encapsulated in the work of Christ, the character of God that's revealed in Christ at the cross, of which the foremost character is love, and all, all the other character uh, relates to that. So uh, the character, there's no second tier. There's nothing to graduate from. 
He's seeking to present every person uh, complete in the character of Christ himself, being renewed in the image of Christ himself. That's uh, the project of Paul's ministry. That's what he was involved in. So Christ is the content of Paul's ministry. It's what he talked about. We proclaim Christ. He's the goal. The goal was to present every person complete in Christ. And then finally, Christ is the power of Paul's ministry. As he was, as he was involved in doing uh, this, the power came not from himself, but it also came from Christ and from knowing God through Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, Christ's power, which also works mightily in uh, me. Paul's main task was to proclaim Christ. Uh, and you might say, well, you know, Paul, you should just proclaim Christ. Let the word do its work and get out of the way. And there's a sense in which that is right. Uh, but Paul not only proclaims Christ, he doesn't just sit in the rarefied atmosphere of giving information and then sitting back. That's not the way he describes his uh, ministry. After he proclaims Christ, that's when the work begins because he describes, we proclaim him admonishing every man, putting it in the mind of every person individually, admonishing every man and teaching every uh, man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. And there's a lot of work in that because Paul says, for this purpose also, I labor, toil, striving. But he wants us to know that it's according not to his own strength. He wants us to know he's agonizing in his ministry. He's wrestling. Paul says, I'm in a struggle. But it's not according to my strength. It's according to his power, Christ's power, which works mightily within me. Paul's strength came from knowing Christ, from hoping in Christ, and from knowing God through Christ. So in all the, even the daily things that Paul's doing, he's gone from kind of the, the vast ways in which uh, Christ is the centerpiece of his ministry, some in ways that, that sort of tax the imagination to put together. But this is very uh, practical and uh, very daily. But Paul's saying to the Colossians, this is my whole ministry. Look at it from every angle. Look at it from a bird's eye view. Look at it from, from uh, right, right under my nose. This is my whole ministry and there's no aspect of it that's outside of Christ. There's no aspect of it that's apart from uh, Christ. And the same is true for us. The same is true uh, for us. Christ is present and alive in his church in ways that challenge the imagination to take in, like our suffering resulting through Christ in his death and resurrection and life that is given to others. And we, we can hardly comprehend that. Or, uh, Christ is everything in the church in the sense that his character is refracted and reflected in the church in a thousand surprising ways, such as even the, the nationality of those who make up the church at this time, Gentiles with no heritage and the, in the wisdom of God, the uh, purpose of all that is to provoke the nation of Israel to jealousy. And it shows us something about Christ, some, shows us something that's only possible because of Christ, the Gentiles uh, could be in the church in uh, this in this way. So let me encourage you this morning. Do you wish to be complete? Do you wish to be mature? Do you wish to be a better disciple? Do you wish to be better at making disciples? All these things involved in the same project that Paul is working on in his ministry. Well, none of those things are found by grasping hold of a second tier, by finding a, a new technique. So you think that uh, knowing Christ is sort of high school and then you need to graduate to college and do something that's more uh, advanced. 
All of those things are found in knowing Christ, in knowing God through Christ and in reflecting the character of Christ, knowing his person, and he lives now in his resurrection life, and knowing his work, especially his work of the cross, which perfectly expresses and reveals and encapsulates his character of love for the undeserving as he takes the place of um, sinners, the lowliest sinners on the cross as an expression of his ongoing character. So let it be an encouragement to you to know Christ. And there's nothing outside of that, that knowing Christ is uh, everything. Let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that the treasures of wisdom that are hidden in Christ are inexhaustible that we'll spend all eternity knowing the treasures that are found uh, in Christ. And so, Father, we pray that you'd teach us not to uh, get distracted or be uh, dissatisfied by what's found in Christ and seek something else, something better, uh, but instead that we would rest completely uh, in what is found in Christ and then that we would strive working according to the power that's found uh, in Christ. We pray that you'd teach us uh, today and even in the next time, what it means to uh, proclaim Christ in such a way that we present every person complete in Christ according to the power that works through Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.